here, we're going to be in Ephesians, uh, continuing in chapter 4. Now, as we move into Ephesians 4, and as we we heard last week, one of the ways that Ephesians 4 starts out, Paul uh, brings out some of the first imperatives um, in his letter, that is, the commands, and, and in particular, as we saw last week, those were commands focused around us being one, united together, but all of these, we got to remember as we, we talk about the commands, these are all in the shadow of what he said in chapters 1 through 3, okay? He, he has told us how it is that, that, that we are adopted, united to Christ, uh, justified even, that, that we are saved by the incredible grace of our great God, by his gracious act, by his gracious work, and now he's telling us, now that this is true of us, how is it that we go on living? And so last week we, we heard that call to, to be united uh, together. As we move into this week's uh, text, having laid that foundation, uh, Paul talks about how we are now, uh, to, we're all distinctly different, okay? We're, we're all made different, we, and we are gifted differently uh, for the work of ministry. The whole church is one, but at the same time, we all have our own, own mission field, if you will. We have our own distinct roles to play in the work of Christ's church. Let's hear the passage this morning, starting at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body Joined, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, Father, would you bless the preaching of your word? Would you help us to hear your voice today speaking to us? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning as we begin to look at this passage, as we uh, think about the gifts that have come to us, been given to us, I think it's helpful for us to start with an appropriate perspective. I was thinking about the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. If you remember anything of that book, or or movie, I guess. Um, In Narnia, it was always winter, and Christmas never came. But then finally, as as Aslan came back into Narnia, what happened? Christmas came. Father Christmas came, and he came, and he he brought presents to Peter and Susan and Lucy. Do you remember what he told them about those presents, though? He, he, He told them, he said, these are your presents, and they are tools 
not toys. He gave them presents. He said, these are tools and not toys. You, you see, the, the, the things that they were given were things that were going to help them in the battle for Narnia. They were the equipment that they needed. They, these gifts that were given to them, in a sense, the gifts were not for themselves. I'm reminded there's a church in our denomination that one of their kind of taglines, if you will, is a church not for ourselves. Um, I wonder how opposite that is of us so often. How often, maybe even opposite of, of the way that, that we gather here this morning, do we gather together as a church not for ourselves? Are you here this morning as a consumer, you know, evaluating, is, is this good enough? You know, did they do a good enough job as they're trying to redo the stage and stuff? Or are, are, you, are you evaluating it uh, on those kind of principles? Are, are you here to get your needs met? Or are you here this morning to be equipped for the work of ministry? Which is it this morning? Why are we uh, gathered here today? I hope we'll embrace that latter one. That's certainly where, where I think Paul is pushing us this morning. In order to do this, we're going to first look at the origin of the gifts. Then we're going to see the gifts that Paul talks about in our passage. And then the purpose of these gifts first, uh, the origin. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, we hear that, and instinctively, we, we hear those words, and we think, does this mean somehow that different people are given different amounts of Christ's grace, that we, we get different levels of it? Uh, that's not here how, I think Paul is using the word grace differently than he has previously in this letter. You see, previously, Paul has already made clear how radical the grace of our great God is, hasn't he? You remember back in chapter 2 and verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And this grace is the same for all who believe. No one is more saved than anyone else. No one's more justified than anybody else. Nobody is more adopted than anyone else. Just think of how silly that sounds when, when you begin to think of it. Nobody can be more united uh, to Christ than another what he's referring to as he, as, he, as he speaks of these graces, what is he talking about? But he's talking about gifts. Gifts that are given to those who are already believers, who've already been saved by his incredible and radical grace, and these gifts are given, as we're going to see with diversity. We're not all given the same gifts. We're, we're gifted differently, but all, and let's not miss this, all who are in Christ receive gifts. All. There's no one in here, if you're in Christ, who has not received some of these incredible gifts according to the measure of Christ. In verse 8, Paul uh, refers to Psalm 68. Now, this can be really confusing, so I want to try to make it simple. Um, psalm 68 is a psalm which describes Jesus, or the Messiah, as a triumphant warrior. And so Paul, in, in verse 8, he says this, Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. Paul here is painting a picture of Jesus as a great warrior, the Son of God, who, as we read in Philippians 2, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death 
on the cross. He descended. He he came down in the most incredible way to save and to rescue us from our sin and death. But of course, the story does not end there. The one who descended also ascended, as we see in Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the world, in the world of the Ephesians, whenever a, a victorious warrior uh, won a great battle, he would, he would parade back into town and everyone would be celebrating him and, and following in with him would be all the bounty that he got from his battle. And then what would he do? But he would give some of that away to the people. Paul is, in a sense, painting a similar picture for us. Jesus descended, facing the greatest battle that any warrior has ever known, facing death itself, and he came away victorious, right? Raised on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then what did he do? Do you remember what he promised to do in Acts 1? What did he promise? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what actually took place? Acts 2, we begin to see it on that, that first day of Pentecost. What, what, what took place? But Jesus began to distribute the bounty of his victory. And the church began to do what? Having, having these wonderful gifts, what did it begin to do? It began to expand exponentially like the church has never expanded before. And it's just continued to expand to this day. And how has that happened Through Jesus, giving gifts through the work of his spirit to his church, to his children, to you, and to me. Now, Paul, in our passage, he gives a list of some of these gifts. If you've been paying attention, you may have already noticed, well, I don't see myself in any of these gifts. That's okay. We'll, We'll kind of get there. And we need to understand that Paul here is not giving an exclusive list. In fact, he's just talking about the the church being gifted with with certain men, um, that certain men were gifted to the church as a gift to the church, okay? And if you noticed, the operations of of those gifted people is largely centered around the Word of God and bringing the Word to people and preaching the Word and teaching the Word, as we see in verse 11. Who did he give? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. The shepherds and teachers, let's think about them each real quickly. First, the apostles. Um, now, now, an apostle is somebody who is sent out, right? And we could think of ourselves and you could think, well, maybe that's me. You know, we're, we're all sent out, right? And, and that is true. There's a sense in which we could all think of ourselves as lowercase apostles. We, we are all ones who are sent out to share the good news of, uh, of, Jesus, of Jesus Christ. But here Paul is thinking of if you will, capital A apostles, okay? That, that is those apostles in the early church, those ones who were commissioned directly by Jesus Christ himself for the establishment of the church, building the very foundation of the church. And they served along with the prophets. Now, prophets are, are ones, of course, who bring about the word of God and There's a sense even, we could even talk about what we're doing right now is in a sense prophetic, okay? The the word of God is going out to his people and Holy Spirit is illuminating our hearts, right? 
So there's a sense in which this takes place even today, but, but Paul here too is thinking about an office in the early church, a foundational office in the early church when the people desperately needed to hear the word of God, and the word of God was not yet all brought together. The New Testament had not yet been completed. And so the people needed not just the apostles, but also prophets who could, who could bring the word. And so these were foundational offices just then at the very beginnings of the early church. And then we get to this third one, the evangelists. Now, nobody's really 100% sure what Paul is talking about here. And that may seem strange to us because we might hear evangelist and we just make assumptions as to, to what Paul is talking about. But this word is actually only used two other places in Scripture. Um, in Acts 21, uh, Philip is referred to as an evangelist. And then in 2 Timothy, Timothy is exhorted uh, to do the work of an evangelist. That's all we hear of this. Now, we can certainly think of how you and I, we're, we're called to be evangelists in a sense, right? Evangelists are, are somebody who, who share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Um, it could be here that Paul is thinking of a specific office of people that maybe even continues today of, of people who are specially, of men who are specially equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take it to the ends of the earth, maybe even like missionaries. But it seems maybe it's more likely, and the evidence seems to line up on the side of actually this too, just like the apostles and the prophets is actually one of those foundational offices. One of those things that were at the very beginning of the church, one, one commentator calls them like apostolic lieutenants. Does that make sense? So, so these people like Philip and Timothy, these were right-hand men to the apostles, and they served under them, and so likely this office ended with the early church too. These first three are foundational offices in the beginnings of the church, and then we get to the one that, that certainly continues today. We read the shepherds and teachers. Now you'll notice that that definite article goes with both shepherd and teacher. And so it seems that this is a singular office, okay? A singular group of people, but with dual functions. And as we think about it today, and as we, we look to other places in scriptures, this is, we would think here what we could replace that with is elder, okay? The, the elders in the church, the elders in the church who are called to do Two primary things, which is to shepherd the people, to care for you, to care for your souls, and also to teach. Okay, shepherds and teachers. And now, of course, there's some of us elders um, who are called especially to the teaching and to the preaching ministry of God's word. We sometimes refer to them as pastors, right? But, but we're still elders. We're still in this same class of officers, now, you hear this, and most of you, except for about seven of us, six, seven of us in the room, you know, you think, well, I'm kind of, this is the only gifts that, that Paul mentions here, and I'm excluded from this list. This seems kind of unfair, right? Let's not miss what Paul started off with uh, back in verse 7. What did he say? He, he said that grace was given to each of us, each of us. Each of us has received these gifts. And in elsewhere, we could go to Romans or we could go to 1 Corinthians and we could see other lists of the gifts that our Savior Jesus Christ has given to him, to given to us. Here, though, Paul, again, he's, he's focusing on these word gifts. Why is that? It's because the word is central. The word is crucial. 
In fact, a right understanding of the word is mandatory for us to do the work of ministry. Okay? It is, it is of utmost importance. It is what prepares us to be able to go out and do the work of ministry and to exercise our gifts, whatever they may be. The word must be central. The word of God, his scripture, must be central to all we do. And his word is an incredible gift to the church. That's why what we're doing right now is so important. Now that can seem awfully self-serving because I'm up here and you're having to listen to me, right? And so I'm blessing you by preaching God's word, right? One of the great privileges, I think, I have of serving in this church is that half of the time I'm sitting where you are. Um, that I too get to hear God's word preached. Not that I don't hear it as I'm preaching it myself, but that I get to sit under the preaching of the word almost every other week. It's wonderful. It's so good for my soul. We need it. We need to sit under the word. That's why we take the word seriously here, right? We, we don't deal with it in, in shallow ways, but we try to, to mine the depths of God's word. Now, Paul tells us that, that, that these offices, these gifts to the church of, of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, they're, they're given to us for a purpose. And let's please not miss that this morning, verse 12. These gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, our purpose is to prepare you, to help equip you so that you can go out and do the work of ministry, a work of ministry that, that has a multitude of gifts. You, each of you, you're, you're gifted in, in different ways, in different forms, in different fashions, so, and it's a good thing. This is an incredible blessing. I, I, just think of like the, the assembly line. You know, we, we think of assembly line, we, we often think of Henry Ford, and, and just the wonder that that was of whenever they figured it out right? They, they go from making one Model T Ford in like 12 or 13 hours to making one every hour and a half. And why was that? Because no longer did you have a guy or a couple of guys just working on one car, you know, every, trying to get everything done. But now what do you have? You have people specializing, people doing different things. They, they know how to do it. They know how to do it well. They know how to do it quickly. In a similar way, we, it's a wonderful blessing that, that you and I, we, we don't all get the same gifts. That we're gifted differently. That Holy Spirit gives us, through, through, his, through our Savior Jesus Christ, gives us incredible gifts in multitude of ways. And, and so, as we think about this, as we think about in the context of the passage, the gift of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers are to equip you and to equip me to do the work of ministry, so that Christ's church can be built up, so that Christ's church can spread to the very ends of the earth. You remember the purpose that the Holy Spirit was being poured out? We read it a few minutes ago in Acts 1, that Jesus was giving us the gift so that what? So that the gospel could spread to the very ends of the earth, so that it could expand. And though Paul um, has certainly focused, he focuses here on these particular gifts given to church officers, 
most of whom offices that aren't even still in the church today, right? They're gone. Yet he makes clear that there's a purpose, a great purpose for it. The purpose is to equip you for your ministry. John Stott tells of one day going and ministering to a church in Connecticut. And he brought... Pull out the bulletin. He's looking at the bulletin, and you know, like church bulletins, we don't have them around here, but um, often do. They, you know, they have the name of the pastor, and there's the assistant pastor. But then, right below that, it said ministers: colon, the entire congregation. He said it was startling, but undeniably biblical. Undeniably biblical. You see, we are all called to be ministers. You, you see, the purpose here of the church isn't just to, to, you know, for Peter and I to get paid to do this and, and have a, a few ruling elders and some deacons to do the work of ministry so that y'all can go about your daily lives. That's not what Paul says here, right? He says those officers, what, what, is their, what, what, is their, what is their objective? What's the objective of the elders of our, our church? It's to equip you so that you can do the ministry of the church, not so that we can not saying that we don't have place. We're doing that too. We return to those initial questions. Are you here this morning as a consumer? Are you here this morning just to kind of get your needs met, if you will? Are you here to be equipped for ministry? Are you here to go out and do the work of ministry? The work of ministry is for everyone here. What is your ministry? What gifts has your Savior? You see, if you are in Christ, if you've been united to him, if, if you've been justified, if you've been adopted into his family, if you are one of his, your Savior, he's given you gifts. He's gifted you. Are you using those gifts? Are you squandering those gifts? Are you saying, I, I don't have time to exercise those gifts. I'm too busy with everything else in my life. I don't have time for ministry yet. Maybe I can come on Sunday mornings. Maybe. Or do you see what your calling really is? That your Savior, the the one who died for you, the one who gave everything for you, has given to you wonderful gifts. Are you just hiding them in a closet somewhere? Are you utilizing them? Paul is calling us this morning, use the wonderful gifts that your Savior has gifted to you. And you may be wondering, well, how do I know what those gifts are? My guess is you, you know largely what they are. We, we just try to avoid them, I think, more than anything. Like we could, and maybe at some point we'll, we'll do some sort of spiritual gift inventory, and usually you get those back, at least in my, you get back and you, you see exactly what you expect to get back, Right? You know what your gifts are. Your, your elders here, we, we would love to sit down with you and talk to you. If you, if you want to plug into ministry and plug into doing the work of ministry, we'd love to talk to you and help you to get plugged in in some way, some fashion or another. There are opportunities. You, you see it every Sunday morning. You probably ignore it before the service start of, of opportunities to volunteer, right? And when I'm talking about volunteering, I'm not just talking about checking off a box. I'm talking about like getting involved. We have needs, you have opportunities to minister to the children of our church, training them up in the Lord. Yeah, you have opportunities and you don't want me, because some of us are gifted differently, right? You don't want to see me at one of these microphones. 
okay? That would be terrible. That's why we're gifted with wonderful people who can do that. Maybe you're gifted in that way as well, and that can be part of that work of ministry for you. Maybe you would be skilled in speaking into the lives of our teenagers. They so desperately need adults speaking into their lives, talking with them, encouraging them in their faith, walking with them. You may have gifts of hospitality, welcoming people into your home or or making meals for them. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement and are good at writing notes of encouragement to people and calling them on the phone. I don't know what your gifts are. We've all been gifted by our Savior. Are we going to utilize them? Are we going to leave them stuffed in a closet? And I I fear we, we do that too often. We get so busy with the rest of life. And we forget that we were made. We're made in Christ to do what? To do the work of the church. And remember, let me also make sure I say this. As I talk about the work of the church, we're not just talking about everything that goes on inside these walls. Okay? That many of these gifts, they extend out of these walls in a big way. Could be through our mercy ministry, getting involved with our our deacons and, and the wonderful ministry they have to the homeless community here in Elkton. Okay, there, there's all sorts of opportunities to, to go outside. Evangelism and sharing the, the gospel with the lost around us. Our Savior has given us all gifts. Now, I want to say this too. Some of us, you may think, well, I don't like the gift that I was given. You know, I wish I had the more flashy gift. You know, like the one up front or whatever. Like, I don't know, or the cool one or, or whatever. I don't know how you classify those things. But again, be reminded, your Savior is very wise. And he has gifted you precisely in the way that you, you can best come alongside, you can best lift up, and you can best encourage the church so that the body of Christ can be built up, so that he can be built up as we move into verse 13, until we have all attained to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we're no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul's making clear how much we need one another, how much we need the body. We're so easily tossed to and fro, aren't we? So easily tossed to and fro by the world we live in as we we hear things, teachings coming in at us in all sorts of ways. We hear all sorts of untruths spoken to us about the world that we live in about what is true and what is good and what is lovely. And we battle lies coming into us all the time about those truths. And yet, what does the Word of God do? It sets those things astray. It, 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 it fixes us. It helps us to no longer, what, be children, just tossed to and fro. Now, I don't, if, you've had, if you have kids, maybe at some point or another, I've been accused of this, I think, with all my kids at some point or another of calling them a baby. You just called me a baby, and they, they, get all, they get upset, right? And what is it that you're really encouraging? Hopefully, you're not, like, just calling them out as a baby. Usually, it comes in the context of you encouraging them to mature in some way, 
Like, I want you to grow up in ways. I want you to mature. And isn't that what Paul's telling us here? He wants you, he wants us as a church to to continue in maturity, to, to continue to grow up, to not be babies anymore. His desire is, is, is for us to grow, to mature in our faith. His desire is, look as, look at we continue in verse 15. Rather, what does he want? Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He doesn't want us tossed to and fro like children. He wants us to grow up, he says, into our, that, into our head, which is Christ Jesus. You ever seen a bobblehead before? You have one? You know how goofy they look? And why do they look so goofy? Well, they're bobbleheads, right? And their head just bobbles back and forth. But, but the head is also what? It's way too big for its body. I'm reminded growing up, my, my parents in their bedroom, they, they had like a, a character thing had done of them at some point. Maybe you've seen it before at like amusement parks and all where they, they do caricatures. And it's a caricature where it's like a huge head, just a little tiny body underneath it. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of like the bobblehead idea of just this huge head with a body that doesn't fit it. And Paul telling us, we, the body, need to fit the head. We need to look like we belong. We need to grow up into the body. We, we need to be, you know, whether you're a, a, a pinky or, or a, a shoulder, or what, you know, I don't know what part you play in the body of Christ. But we're called as a body to what? To, to, to look like and, and to grow up into the head. So, and I, I fear too often we look like the bobblehead. Or we look like that caricature, which Christ's head is rightfully big. Because he is so wonderful, so gracious, so incredibly loving, so in all of his perfections, and yet we, the church, look so emaciated, and we don't fit the body, we don't fit the head. We're called to mature, to grow up. How does that take place? That takes place in the context of you and I doing what we're called to do, of doing the work of ministry of the church. Fulfilling the role that we are called to, and doing so with What does he say, those fabulous words in verse 15, speaking the truth in love? Speaking the truth in love. I don't know about you, I've seen that used in a multitude of bad ways. Sometimes it's like, I'm loving you just by telling you the truth, right? Like I can just tell you, I can just be as blunt, I'm just going to tell you because it's the truth and that's how I'm loving you. Or you can be so loving of somebody (laughs) that you just avoid the truth. You so soft pedal it that there's no substance to it. You you know, like you're telling them one thing, but you have to say so many compliments before and after that what you're really talking to them is totally missed and it's totally washed over. You see, neither is really the right approach, right? Uh, Truth without love is just harsh. It's just harsh. Love without truth is just squishy and soft. It's meaningless has no meaning and no substance to it. We're called to hold these two things together as the church. Truth and love as we relate to one another and as we relate to the world. 
as we speak the truth to one another in love, as we speak the truth in love to a watching world, hopefully with great winsomeness, with care and concern. Lastly, uh, I don't know if you noticed in verse 16, he says, for the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, even as we've talked this morning and I've, I've talked about us being, doing the ministry that we're called to, right? Being equipped for the ministry. This isn't a solo affair. This isn't about you going out and, and being the best whatever with your gifts that you can possibly be. We're called to do it together as a body, as a church. Paul is just, concerned, just as concerned with the joints, with the, with, with the ways that we as a body interact with one another that we as the body build each other up in love. It comes as we encourage each other to use the gifts that we are given. Maybe there's somebody that you've seen who you've been active and you've seen that they're on the sidelines. Maybe you need to encourage them. Maybe there's somebody that does need to hear the truth and you need to speak it well and love. Others that you need to build up. And it's only as the body is working together Every part working properly, he says, does the body really grow and build itself up in love? So this is where we get to that, you know, how do most churches function? You know, 10, you know, depending on the stat, 10 or 20% of the people do 100% of the work, right? You realize how terrible that is? How sad that is? Do do you really? I mean, do, do we understand how just that... How opposite that is of the way that we're to function as the body. When there's 10 or 20% of people doing 100% of the work, you get that big bobblehead. You get that big caricature. We're all called. If you are in Christ here this morning, you are called. Now, there may be some here this morning who, who you don't know Jesus at all, and most of what I said is just, you know, it, it's like completely other for you. It doesn't really affect you one way or another. And that's where I want to encourage you to go back to where we started in a sense. And be reminded of the one who has gifted his church in such a way. He's the one who went to the battle. He went to the victory. He fought the victory. He descended. He ascended. So that we might have new life and so that you might have new life you confess your faith in him. To those of us united in Christ this morning, do you know what your work of ministry is? Are you exercising it? Are you avoiding it? Are you squandering it? Your Savior, if you're in Christ, your your Savior has blessed you so much, not just by saving you, but by gifting you. Jesus did not have to use you and I to build up his church. He did not have to use you and I to spread the kingdom, his great kingdom to the ends of the earth. But he has chosen to use you. And do remember when I say you, I mean you, all of us.
as a body to do the work of ministry, spreading the wonderful good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you hear the call this morning? I pray you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that your word challenges us. The way that your word doesn't allow us to just sit comfortable in our chairs. We thank you that you have gifted each and every believer in this room. Father, we know, we confess, we, we get distracted by all sorts of things in this world. All sorts of things that take our minds and hearts off of you. Would you help us all to hear the call this morning? Help us all to evaluate our lives and evaluate the way that you are using us and could use us and will use us. We, we thank you for the awesome privilege. It is. To do the work of ministry. Building up the body of your church. And that we all have a part to play in it. And we thank you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.